Welcome everyone to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and foster care. I'm Dawn Davenport, host of this show, as well as the director of Creating a Family. And today we're going to be talking about practical tips for disciplining while maintaining attachment. We'll be talking with Amanda Purvis. She is a training specialist at the Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development. She's a social worker and a mom to five, some of whom have experienced trauma. Welcome to Creating a Family, Amanda. We are so glad to have you talk about this topic. If I had to pick a topic that was probably of the most interest to our audience and to our families and to really to parents in general, but particularly parenting children who adopted kids and, and foster kids who have experienced trauma, this seems to be the heart. Would you agree? Absolutely. When I read the title, like practical tips for disciplining while maintaining <laughs> attachment, I just took a deep breath. Um, Sorry about that. <laughs> this is this is where the rubber meets the road for all of us. Um, it's when all of the skills that we've hopefully gained, also all of our history, kind of con- come together. <laughs> yeah, this is this is where it is. And one of the things that that bothers me is that I think there is, if not a universal, I do think that there is a misperception about TBRI, trust-based relationship intervention, is that it is a permissive type of parenting that we focus exclusively on attachment and that there isn't any form of discipline as a part of it. And and that is such a misperception from from my standpoint. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. We are, um, I think it, it is, you're right, common that when people initially hear about TBRI, what they hear um, makes them think, oh, this is permissive or kids are in charge. Um, when in fact it's the opposite. Kids cannot feel safe unless they have safe adults who are in charge. Absolutely. Who keep them safe. And so that requires um, a very high level of structure. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So since we're talking about discipline as it intersects with attachment or how to maintain our attachment and still have well-disciplined children, uh, let's start with uh, uh, the basics of attachment, kind of a crib note version of what we, what we expect. What, is, what does attachment look like? Yeah. So um, attachment is this cycle that's happening throughout a lifetime um, for anyone in a relationship with someone. Um, and what it looks like is you know, someone has a need. So let's say an infant has a need um, and they have a behavior to express that need, which in an infant, it could be crying, right? Or fussing or, um, and then the caregiver comes and meets that need. um, And then the child calms down. Um, In a school-age child, that might look like, you know, they come home from school stomping and throw their backpack down and go to their room. We go to their room and we find out what happened at school and they calm down, right? And so, um, this attachment cycle is happening throughout a lifetime. Um, but what's, what is really happening in their brains and bodies that safe relationships, safe people will listen to their need and meet their need. So they have a voice and that they matter to the world, which is self-efficacy, right? I have a voice and I matter. When I have a problem, when I have a need, someone will hear me and they will want to help me. Um, and then we're wiring the brain uh, for self-regulation, as well as we're laying the foundation for mental health and there's in those first few years um, with that attachment cycle. So um, attachment is absolutely foundational to how we as adults do relationships, um, and it's absolutely foundational for our children and how they do relationships and just interact with the world around them. Mm-hmm. And long-term mental health. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
right. So now let's talk about the purpose of discipline. Uh, and, and what do we mean by discipline? And why do we discipline our kids other than the fact that for our own mental health, and because we're trying to raise good human beings? Right. Yeah, no, the word discipline means to teach, right, or to disciple. And so that's the key with discipline, because I think oftentimes when we think of discipline, we're actually thinking of punishment. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so discipline is how do I give my children the skills they need to be successful in this scenario in the future? Um, and that is what discipline is. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think we think of punishment and think they're the same. And in fact, they're not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Why do some of the disciplinary approaches that either we were raised on or we've heard about not work. Let's start with the uh, spare the rod, spoil the child. I certainly have heard that a lot. Um, why is that not the preferred disciplinary method for children who've experienced trauma? Yeah, um, it, in TBRI, we, re we rely a lot on research um, and just what the research shows us um, so that we can take kind of the um, personal experience and all, you know, opinion and all of that out of it. Um, what research shows us is that when we um, use those types of discipline methods, we actually don't see um, changed behavior for the long term. Um, and the other thing that research shows us around that is that we do see breaks in attachment or relationship as a result. Um, so specifically, when we're talking about parenting kids who have experienced trauma, um, a break in relationship is something that is going to feel very, very different um, for us as caregivers, as well as for them, because they have behaviors that are really big um, as a result of their trauma when that happens. Mm -hmm. Okay, what about timeouts or being sent to their room? Yeah, so again, when we look back at that attachment cycle and understand the brain and the biology, um, of human beings. What we know um, is that when kids are struggling behaviorally, they need to borrow our brains and bodies, our chemistry within our body um, to help them learn how to calm down. So if we can rewire um, even like the word, you know, misbehavior or, you know, a child having a meltdown or things like that, and think of it really as a child who is dysregulated and they need our help regulating. Um, because when we look at it that way, the idea of, okay, my child has flipped their lid, they're no longer in control of their behaviors, so I'm going to send them away. When we compare that to what we know about their brains and bodies is they actually need us to bring them close in those instances so that their bodies can literally use the chemicals in our bodies to calm down. Mm -hmm. And so that's why in, in TBRI, we use time ends where we're bringing children close if they'll allow us um, when they've had um, a meltdown or um, a misbehavior. What about shaming? What I would say is um, the kids that we parent um, or that we work with, they have come to us clothed in guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. um, and that is um, the result of their history. And one of the what I would say one of the biggest goals of parenting kids who have experienced trauma is to help replace that guilt and shame with self-efficacy and a voice. And we cannot do that when we use shame or fear to parent our children. Mm -hmm. The goal is to preserve, a, and this is directly from the connected child, the goal is to preserve a warm, loving connection between the parent and child throughout the discipline process. And shame does not do that. 
shame won't allow you to do that. Mm-hmm. Even if you trigger shame and you don't mean to, the the process has been halted and you now have to work on, you know, bringing them back. And so the way I look at it is shame is one of the most um, sticky emotions that any of us feel. And so oftentimes when our children are feeling shame, what they express to us is anger or outrage or disrespect or those things. And and those feel different as a parent than if we said something to our child and they just looked shamed, right? Like if we said to them, like, who do you think you are? And they just dropped their head and started to cry. We would probably respond differently than if we said, who do you think you are? And they rolled their eyes and Mm said, you're so annoying and walked away, which in fact, what they want to do is probably, you know, lower their head and cry because they feel shame, right? Mm-hmm. Like, who do, do I not belong here? I'm not worthy. I shouldn't be here. So it's, it's hard sometimes for us to identify when our kids feel shame because they're mm-hmm. showing us these other emotions. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I like what you say about our children come to us clothed in shame. It's yeah. the nature of what trauma does to, to all of us. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And that's one of, it's why I believe our jobs are so difficult because for a child who um, has not experienced trauma, I can say to them, um, like I actually have an example I use with two of my children in this scenario. Um, I have, you know, my biological son who, you know, if he came running at school, you know, and the school teacher said, whoa, 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 Trey, stop running. He'd be like, sorry, miss so-and-so, you know, and probably keep running. And, (laughs) And he would never think a thing about it. He would never think like that teacher doesn't like me or, you know, any of those things because he's not, he has not experienced that shame core that kids from trauma have. But the first day of second grade, um, when I went to pick up my son, um, who's experienced a lot of trauma, um, he saw me at the door and got excited and ran to me. And his teacher said, you know, whoa, 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 buddy, walking feet, just like that. She wasn't upset. She wasn't Um, And he just dropped his head and he looked right at me and he said, I knew she hated me. And he walked back to his desk and then walked to me again. You know, he did the redo without being told because he's used to that. But that example, it just hit me to my core. Like he literally walked into that room this morning going, I already know my teacher hates me. Mm -hmm. I already know that she doesn't like me. I already know I'm the worst kid in this class. And so as soon as she makes one little correction, right, a little bit of discipline, right, we don't run in our classroom, he equates that to the story in his head, which is, I'm unliked, I'm unloved. I'm unworthy. Yep, I shouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. So that's why this topic is it. (laughs) Like, we we have to get this right, um, or our Mm -hmm. kids can't heal. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of, before we jump into the approach that TBRI has coined for, for how to discipline, let's start with just some basics on disciplining that combines firmness, kindness, and retraining, which is the goal here. One of the things that I think that parents worry about is that they need to be the boss. They, and how do they own their own bossness? How do they own their authority with this approach? And so is it okay for parents to be the boss, to be the authority? Yeah, it, not only is it okay, but it's the only way that our children will feel safe um, is if not only they know that we're the boss, but they know that we're a capable boss, right? That we know how to keep them safe. We know how to meet their needs and we know what's right and wrong. 
Um, and so even if we don't necessarily feel that, it's important that that's what we portray to our children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and one way of doing that is to, when you are recorrecting and retraining to use a voice, I, you know, we, in our house, they call it the mom voice, um, but it is the voice of authority. It's a different tone and, and, and children hear that they pick up with on that. Absolutely. Yeah. And what we talk a lot about in TBRI is this balance of structure and nurture. Um, and that is the, I believe the sweet spot of TBRI. And it's the reason I think that so many people can't fathom what it looks like um, until they've seen it or tried it um, because we are so high structure, which people um, equate to, you know, like the military type home, um, the, you know, very, very strict, that type of thing. But usually those exist without the nurture, right? So I have a really strict parent or we, you know, we're, we do what we're told and we never ask questions and, but we com, you know, combine that with this really high nurture. So we are high structure, but we're also really high nurture and we're consistently balancing those two things. So if I'm going to lead with structure with my son, no, you may not go over to his house, right? I'm going to follow up immediately. My next step is nurture. Mm -hmm. I know that's disappointing and I'm so sorry, buddy, but I do have a fun plan for today. Would you like to hear it? Mm -hmm. Right. And so I'm going to be really clear. Nope, we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. And that's, then I'm going to follow up. Yeah. And then that's the, is that the, an example we'll, uh, talking about it later is the sandwich approach where you're trying to say firmly the negative, but cushion it with or surround it with some positives, some yeses. Yeah, absolutely. And any time that we're saying yes to our children, we're going through that attachment cycle, right? Yes, I hear you. Yes, you're important. Yes, you matter to me. Yes, I'll meet your needs. Mm -hmm. So you have a need for, you know, social interaction. Um, you have a need for relationships and peers. Um, so yes, I hear that. And here's how I'm going to meet that need. It's not going to be with this person because I don't feel comfortable with that or whatever. But here's what we, what we can do to meet that need. Mm -hmm. Okay, another general tip uh, before we jump into the ideal approach, I-D-E-A-L approach, is to gear your response to the child's level of misbehavior. All of our responses don't have to be on the same level, just like all of our kids' misbehaviors aren't on the same level. So can you give us an example of that? Yeah, um, I like to use the, I think it's Nicolas Cage said in some movie, like, don't shoot at the nuclear weapons, right? Like this <laughs> idea that, if we come in guns blazing, our children will meet us there. If they're already about to, <laughs> then they will, you know, not only meet us there, but they will go even further. And so I see your bid and raise you one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, there's this idea that it, it, we actually have levels of response in TBRI. We have four levels of response. And the first is playful engagement. And that's unless someone's in danger, like we should almost always be starting there. And what we say is our home should be at a level one at all times where we're playfully engaging with our kids. And that might mean that they say like, bye, I'm leaving. And we say like, whoa, buddy. Right. Like, and what, what I'm communicating there, it's playful and fun and the train is moving, but you don't tell me what you're going to do. Right. Like you can ask me, but children in our homes don't tell adults what they're doing. They ask. And that's a level of respect. That's a high structure thing. You will never tell me what you're doing. You may ask me. 
but I don't have to say, who do you think you are? You mm-hmm. can't tell me what you're going to do. You haven't, right? I can just say, whoa, buddy. And he knows that that's a signal to him. Like, I mean, can I please go outside and play in the backyard? Absolutely. Right. Um, and then I get to say yes. And that's one of the reasons why we have that high structure is if they're asking me all the time, I get to say yes all the time, which gives me the opportunity to go through that attachment cycle. So that high structure allows me to be high nurture. Mm-hmm. Another thing that we that's talked about in TBRI, trust-based relationship intervention, is that, and you've mentioned this at the beginning, and that is that we need to shift our perspective and view misbehavior as an opportunity. Now, I have to admit that that is not always where I go when I am dealing with misbehavior. Explain what you mean by that. <laughs> no, same. First of all, like, let's be real. Yeah. Like, we all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pinching their little head off, it sometimes does, it's, it's maybe my more, uh, and more in the forethought at first. <laughs> right. No, and the idea there is um, if we look at this as an opportunity, what we're going to respond with is this is an opportunity for me to teach my child the skills they need to be successful in this area for the future rather than, oh, what a pain. They don't get it. They've, you know, misbehaved again. If I think, okay, I obviously haven't, maybe I haven't done a good job of giving them the skills they need or maybe this is a new skill that I'm realizing they don't have or, right? And so if I look at it as an opportunity to teach the skills that are lacking, I'm going to respond to the behavior very differently than if I think this is a child who is con- like has set forth to ruin my day. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one, which in some way is tied into that is, don't take it personally. This is a hard one. It's not hard when I'm at my best. It is hard when I'm not at my best, which is quite frankly, part of the time when I'm parenting, but approaching discipline in a matter of fact way rather than an emotional way. Yeah. And I think that's part of being in charge, right? Um, When when we're in charge of this situation, it's easy for us to see that things aren't personal. Mm -hmm. Um, But what happens for all of us is that we have buttons, right? We have things that our kids do that make it feel personal. Mm -hmm. And when they push our buttons, they then become in charge, right? Because we lose control and they have gained all the control. So what I would say is oftentimes if we feel like things are personal, most likely a child has pushed a button in that scenario and we need to do some personal work around what is this button for me? Why is this a button and what do I need to do about it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, and I can, from personal experience, (laughs) that is spot on, (laughs) uncomfortably spot on. Yeah. Well, and it's that way for all of us. Yeah. It's not like there's a parent out there who doesn't have buttons, yeah. right? And yeah. We, we all have them. If if you've lived for more than 24 hours in this world, you have a button mm-hmm. and your child knows it. I guarantee. And, and any kid worth their salt has figured out their parents' buttons. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you, thank you, thank you to the Jockey Being Family Foundation for providing us with scholarships for free access to five of our most popular courses at the Adopted Center. And you can get these courses and the coupon code to allow you to get them free at bit.ly slash J-B-F-S-U-P-P-O-R-T. That's bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash 
JBF support with the J, the B, the F, and the S all capitalized. One of the courses over there is Raising a Child with ADHD to a Successful and Healthy Adulthood. And the guest expert is Dr. Ned Hallowell. Dr. Hallowell is a child and adult psychiatrist, and he is truly one of the leading authorities in the field of ADHD. Some might even call him the grandfather of this, of the whole, of all we know about ADHD. He is the author of the groundbreaking book called Driven to Distraction. The other courses that you can get over there are Raising Resilient Kids, Unexpected Stresses of Newly Adopted Parents, Practical Solutions to Typical Food Issues, and Parenting Children Who've Experienced Trauma. Again, the website to get these free courses is bit.ly slash JBF support with the JBF and the S capitalized. All right. Now, I want to talk about the IDEAL, I-D-E-A-L approach. You can find more information about that uh, at the Karen Purvis Institute for Child Development website, or you can also read The Connected Child, and it's described in there. IDEAL stands for, this is IDEAL, it's the IDEAL approach to discipline. So the disciplinary response should be immediate, direct, efficient, And the response should be action-based and leveled. So therefore, we get our acronym IDEAL. Now, we're going to break it down and talk about each uh, individually. What do we mean by immediate? I mean, I know what immediate means. It means soon. But how soon is soon? So there's um, a couple of things as a caregiver that immediate should mean. (laughs) Um, It means that we're going to respond to any level of misbehavior right away. So that means a couple of things. The first thing that means is we're not going to allow behaviors to slide under the radar. So if my child, if I ask them to do something and they roll their eyes and walk away to go do it, that is a low level of disrespect. I need to respond to the eye roll. Because what we say is if we don't respond to the, right? Like it's like the spark in the forest, right? If we're not responding to that, it's going to get big really fast. Um, And so for many parents who are parenting kids from trauma, this this is where we let it go. Mm -hmm. Um, We let the little things go because we know our kids have really big behaviors and we don't want them to explode. And so we end up kind of walking on eggshells um, or in in fact, becoming a bit permissive um, around these low-level behaviors because we don't want the blow-up. When in fact, what our children need is for us to help them regulate there at the eye roll. Because if we're helping them regulate there, it doesn't get to the throwing dishes across the kitchen when I've asked them to unload the dishwasher, right? Because they know I'm coming here to help you so that we don't have to go to a level two, a level three, or a level four. So it means we're responding to low-level behaviors. When we respond to low-level behaviors, usually it's a really quick, easy, moving thing. Um, The second immediate means is the idea that, like, wait until your dad gets home or wait until I call your teacher, those types of things. Um, What we know about brain science is we don't have any chance of rewiring the brain at that point. So we need to respond Ideally, within two to three seconds of a misbehavior, we're, at, we're addressing the behavior. The other thing that means is that if you are really struggling with a child, um, let's say you have a 
10-year-old right now who's just really behaviorally struggling, um, they need to be close to you, unfortunately, um, <laughs> a lot because we can't respond quickly if they're downstairs and we're upstairs, right? I can't respond at the give me that and grabbing the toy if I don't hear the interaction until someone's been hurt and they're screaming and crying and running upstairs. So what that means is we're keeping kids close when we're helping them to rewire their brains around these things. Give me an example with the eye rolling, the immediate, how you would respond. You're, let's say it's your 12-year-old. You have asked them to do something. They sigh heavily, roll their eyes, but then go walk off to do it. You're going to respond immediately. And let's, let's also use the uh, trying to keep it at a level one, uh, your response, because it's not a high level infraction. So give me an example of how you might handle that. Yeah, the first thing, um, like if this happened this morning, so I have a great example, right? I said, like, you can't go to your friend's house until you load the dishwasher. I got the eye roll and the walk away. Um, And I said, whoa, I need you to try that again with respect. And she, you know, came back. I said, I need you to do the dishes before you go to your friend's house. And she said, yes, ma'am, and walked away. She didn't go toward the dishes. Um, uh, but I have a good, like, I trust her and she trusts me and I know. And so what I said to her is I know loading the dishes sucks, right? Like, frankly, that's why I'm asking her to do it. Right. Cause <laughs> yeah. I don't want to, <laughs> it's, it's not my dirty dishes in the sink. Um, and they certainly weren't all hers. Um, so I know that's not a great, so first of all, I'm going to give voice to that. Like I don't expect them to be like, yes, ma'am, that'll be fantastic. I can't wait to load the dishes for you, right? Everybody Um, else's dishes too, not only my own, but I like loading the whole family's dishes. I love old dishes in the sink. Um, So I I get it. Um, So I want to give voice to that. I know this isn't the greatest chore, but thank you for being willing to do it for me without throwing a fit. And so that's what I said to her. I came downstairs to the office. 10 minutes later, she came down and said, just so you know, I finished the dishes. And I said, thank you so much. Right. And that was it. I think what she needed to hear from me in that moment was, I get it. This isn't fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, she needed someone to say, you're right. This stinks. (laughs) And she also needed a little bit of of the respect to, you're not going to say this instant walk over there. You just trusted that she was going to do it. And that allowed her to save a little bit of face and, and process and then do it. And ultimately, what I said is you can't go to your friends until it's done. If she wanted to wait till 5 p.m. to do the dishes, technically, I didn't say they need to be done by this time, right? I know she wants to go to her friends right now. So I'm going to use that to my advantage. Yeah. Also, the fact that the the sink would be, the dishes would accumulate and there would be even more that she would have to do. but. But that's part of giving voice, right? She's 12. She, you know, she needs to be heard. And if I say to her right now, do this as a 12 year old, she's going to, everything in her is going to rise up because Mm -hmm. her brain is telling her become independent, question authority, right? All those natural things are happening in her brain. Mm -hmm. So I can work with her brain or I can work against it. Mm -hmm. So by me saying, before you go to your friend's house, the dishes need to be done. It gave her some voice in the timeline. You could do them right now. Or you could do them in an hour. I don't know if you're going to take a shower and get dressed and watch a show or if you want to leave right now. Mm-hmm. So it was an appropriate age level, right? Mm-hmm. 
So that's the I. The D is to respond directly. Um, how else would you respond if not directly? So what do we mean by that? Yeah. So what we mean is that we need to go to the child and get at or below their eye level and then use our engagement strategies, which are like soft touch, soft eyes, voice matching, all of those things. Um, so we're doing that um, because what we know about the brain is that when we are in proximity and we add gentle touch and warm eyes, that we are going to help the two hemispheres of the brain connect much quicker. So if I'm cooking dinner, yelling across you know, the living room and dining room and kitchen, stop throwing the ball. That's going to take a lot longer in my child's brain to register than if I were to go to my child and say, I need you to stop throwing the ball, please. So it's a brain thing. Um, and it's about response times for our kids. That's why we go to them. It is important that we remember those connecting principles and going to them. Because if I walk up to my child big and scary, that's going to cause a different reaction than if I come low and slow. Mm -hmm. That makes very good sense. The E is for efficient, efficient and measured. I always think of the E as less is more. So yeah. what do we mean by efficient? Yeah, we mean just that. We only want to respond at the level necessary. Um, we don't want to over respond and we don't want to under respond, right? So if someone is threatening, right, physically threatening either a younger sibling or a parent, we don't want to sit down on the ground and be like, oh, buddy, what's wrong, right? Like we need to say to their primitive brain, you can't do that. So that's going to be a very different response than an eye roll when asked to do the dishes. Mm -hmm. um, so what is the level necessary to keep the train moving? Because what, what we want, and when we say keep the train moving, what we're really talking about is that we are in relationship, we're connected throughout the entire thing, but also life is continuing. Because as soon as we get to like a level three, life has to stop. If I was cooking dinner, I'm no longer cooking dinner. Um, so level one is that playful engagement. Um, so that's an efficient response to a level one behavior of an eye roll or a talking back or a ignoring or things like that, right? We can use some playful engagement there. A level two is more structured engagement where we are giving choices. We're getting at their level. We're getting close to them, right? All of those things. A level three is when our child has flipped their lid, right? And they're in that fight, flight, or freeze. And at a level three, we have to stop what we're doing. And it's all about helping our child to regulate before we continue on with any sort of discipline because we cannot effectively discipline when our child is in their downstairs brain. Um, and then a level four is when we're working to keep people safe um, because things have really gone south. What we talk about in that efficiency is whatever level you get to in this interaction, we have to then work our way back down the ladder, right? So if we got to a level three um, and let's say, you know, my son threw a pillow and stomped off and I know like, okay, he's in his downstairs brain. He cannot, you know, I can no longer talk about let's say putting the dishes away because um, he's lost it. I need to now help him to calm down. And so what that might look like is, you know, I'm going with him, helping him calm down. Once he's calm, I'm going to go down to a level two. So buddy, you do need to put the dishes away. 
would you like to do it by yourself so that you have some time to just cool down or would you like me to help you, right? And those might be my two choices. And then once he makes a choice, then we're back at a level one playful engagement. The train's moving, right? Awesome, okay, let's go put the dishes away, right? I give him a hug and we move on. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I, I know is part of this, and it's the one that I struggle with, is I'm a talker. I want to put a lot of words around things. And less is more with words as well. You are so right. And I'm the same way. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It's the hardest. And especially when our kids get to that level three, um, because they actually can't process any words at that point. Um, and that's most often when we have a lot to say about their behavior. And I usually do. <laughs> right. And we have very good things to say. Great lessons yes. for them to yes. learn. So much wisdom. Yes. Um, Just dripping, dripping with wisdom. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, they don't care. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> all that to say, I think you're right. Um, we have to be really careful. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of our strategies are about our voice tone, our body language, our, you know, giving two choices visually, those types of things, because those things are actually speaking much louder to our children at that point than any of the words coming out of our mouths. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the words are just getting in the way and, and often, quite frankly, overwhelming them. Yeah. Or triggering, right? Like mm -hmm. if you say one wrong thing, they've now gone to the next level. Mm -hmm. um, when in fact, the rest of everything you had to say was brilliant. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> all they heard was, you know, when you act like an idiot and they heard, <laughs> be an idiot. <laughs> well, technically they're right on that part, but. Uh, <laughs> and now, now we've lost them. Right. So um, yeah, the, the less the words, the better. Mm -hmm. So the A is that our response should be action-based. What do we mean by that? So action-based has to do with rewiring the brain. If we don't have them do the thing we were asking them to do initially or redo whatever happened, right? Um, if we don't have them do it the right way, there's no hope of them getting it right the next time. Because what we're doing and having them repeat it the correct way is we're wiring their brain for the correct response. So when I have her come back, right, after she rolls her eyes and I ask her to load the dishes again, and she says, yes, ma'am, and doesn't roll her eyes, right, I've now wired in her brain, the next time I'm asked to do the dishes, I need to say yes, ma'am, not roll my eyes and stomp away. And so that's about rewiring the brain. And it needs to remain about rewiring the brain. <laughs> mm -hmm. It can't turn into shame. It can't turn into a power play. It can't turn into any of those things. Otherwise, we negate rewiring the brain. Once we get them to do it the right way, we give them a high five or praise, whatever that looks like in your home and with that child. And then off to the races, right? We're back to a level one playful engagement and we move on. Mm -hmm. And it, it's not, the redos are not a punishment. It's not a, by golly, you're going to come back over here and not roll your eyes at me. And you're going to answer me without that eye roll, or you're going to walk in the house and not stomp or whatever it is that you're, you're having a redo on. It's parental attitude matters. You're exactly right. And that is the make or break with redos. Oftentimes people like learn about TBRI and they leave and they say, okay, I want to try redos. And then they come back the next day and they're like, I tried it. It didn't work. <laughs> and as soon as we start asking questions, it was exactly that, right? They said like, you're going to redo this 
and then it became this point of contention rather than what a redo should um, communicate to your child is I believe that you can be successful in this area and not only do I believe it but I'm gonna watch you do it in some cases it might mean I'm gonna help you be successful because when we initially begin doing redos with our kids they won't know right you're gonna say whoa try that again and they're gonna be like try what again roll my eyes bigger you know <laughs> like they're not so we we do have to give them or like if you're doing foster care and you have new kids coming in your expectation of what respect looks like might be very different than what respect look like in the home that they were in before and so you're gonna have to give them the keys to becoming successful in your home and so that might look like hey it actually feels really disrespectful to me when you roll your eyes. So I'm going to ask you to do it again. And this time I need you to just say, yes, ma'am. Okay. And I understand you won't want to do the dishes. Nobody does. And just so you know, I'm not going to ask you again this week because you will have done them today. But this is how we're going to do this. So I'm going to ask you again, and then you're going to write. And, and that's how we initially start redos is we're going to give them as much information as they need to be successful. If they say no or they walk away or we stop because a redo is happening at a level two with structured engagement. If our child is refusing, they're no longer at a level two. They're at a level three or a level four. And remember at a level three, our whole job is to help them calm down. I'm not going to be able to help anyone calm down when I'm trying to get them to do something, right? So it then becomes about meeting the needs of their brain and body. Do you need a snack? Do you need a break? Do you need a hug? Do you need, right? What is it that you need right now? Once I know that they're calm and regulated, then I can say, hey, let's go back and do the redo. Um, and then I'll help you with the dishes if that's what you need, right? Because oftentimes when we ask for the redo and they refuse, it has nothing to do with the redo, right? That's their way of communicating to us. I just had a horrible day at school or I just got in a huge fight with my boyfriend or I just, right? Like, but rather than just coming out to the kitchen and saying, I'm really upset. I just got in a fight with my boyfriend. We ask them to do the dishes and they refuse and stomp to their room and roll their eyes and slam the door. And then we think it's about the dishes and that's where we lose that connection with our kids. But you also follow up after they've had their time to, uh, to, to regroup and they have re-regulated. Then you would follow up and say, now, come on, we're going to do the, uh, I need to ask you to do something and I don't want you to roll your eyes because that feels disrespectful. Yeah. And, and that's, again, working our way back down that ladder, right? You went up to a level three. You can't just jump off the ladder, right? Mm -hmm. We have to work our way back down. Otherwise, it's not safe. Literally, it's not safe for our kids, right? If they're at a level three, and let's say you have a kid who likes to go to their room at a level three and calm down or attempt to calm down on their own, when they come back out, if you don't readdress that behavior, they cannot continue in that relationship in a safe way because their anxiety is so high because they know, I just walked away from my mom, I rolled my eyes at her, I slammed the door, and they're, and ultimately it probably had nothing to do with you, and so now they haven't even had a chance to talk to you about what it was about, and so they're ready to blow. And so if, if we don't work our way back down the ladder, 10 minutes later when we say, hey, can you set the table, and they throw forks, we're gonna be like, what, that came out of nowhere, <laughs> when in fact, they've been at a level three or four for hours, maybe. Mm -hmm. 
and we haven't helped take them back down that ladder. And, and so just to reiterate something you said at the beginning, then after the child does redo the action, you follow with praise, whatever it feels like praise to that child. Exactly. And that's important for us to know, right? For one of my kids, for me to look them in the eye and say, that was amazing. See, you know how to do it. That means the world to them because words of affirmation is huge, right? For the other one, physical touch means everything. So to give them a hug or a high five or rub their back real quick and say, I'm proud of you. Thank you. That means the world, right? Mm -hmm. So, and that comes back to that attachment piece. When we're attuned to our children, we know what's going to speak their language. Um, and so we know how to praise them in a way that is meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. And be careful that you're recognizing what is, is meaningful to your child and not what would be meaningful to you because our kids are not mini-me's and, and their love language or their praise language may feel different than yours. Yep. And that's part of being a parent and yeah. being in charge, right? Is recognizing I'm going to give them the love that they need not the love that I needed when I was a child that I didn't get. Yes, that I didn't get, so that I'm now trying to, yeah. All right, now the L is for your response should be leveled at the behavior, not the child. What does that look like? This goes back to what you asked about in the beginning, which is the guilt and shame piece. Mm -hmm. Because when we are leveling our response at the behavior, not at the child, we're speaking to an action, not who they are. And so this is, I think, one of the trickiest things when we're parenting children from trauma is that they have that guilt and shame core that we talked about. And so anytime we go to correct a behavior, they think we're saying, you're not right, you're not good, you're bad. And so we have to be very, very careful with the words that we choose. Um, so we talk about the behavior. Rolling your eyes is disrespectful. You aren't disrespectful you're actually a really respectful, great kid. Um, but that behavior makes it seem disrespectful. So what I need you to do is try that again, right? And so we have to make sure to really um, pick and choose the words that we use. And oftentimes this goes back to, again, the attachment piece and mindfulness piece of how we were raised and the phrases or terms that were used when we got in trouble might be completely inappropriate for kids who have experienced trauma. So for me to say like, who do you think you are? Or, you know, when I was growing up, it's like, butlers don't do that, right? And, and to me growing up, that was my maiden name. Um, to me growing up, that was a like, I know who I am and I belong, right? But to my children, if I were to say that, what would that bring up? Mm -hmm. That they aren't, they aren't one of you. Exactly, it would immediately trigger that I don't belong. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I, I'm not a purpose, mm -hmm. right? So like we have to be careful and think through um, the phrases or, and even the, the ways that we discipline, right? So if growing up, you know, if you were rude at the table, you didn't eat at the table, mm -hmm. right? Like that was like, if you're not going to use your fork, if you're going to talk with your mouth full, whatever it might be, you know, okay, then you're not going to eat with us. Well, if I say that to my child who either a, like I have a child who was forced to eat in a separate room than his foster family for years because he didn't belong, 
right? So for me to use that type of discipline for him would be completely counterproductive um, in our relationship, in our connection, in our attachment, and also in teaching him about manners at the table, right? So we have to think through um, and really make sure that our discipline um, is leveled at the behavior and not at the child. Mm -hmm. So when at some tips for maintaining attachment that is talked about in the, the connected child is to create a think it over place that is nearby, but a place for the child to be near you. And I would assume to think it over. So tell us about a think it over place. Yeah, I think this is specifically for kids school age and younger. Most of us grew up and when we um, were dysregulated, we were told to go to our room mm -hmm. most likely. Um, and so the purpose of this is kids do sometimes need to stop and pause. And so bringing them close could look like, here's this stool in the kitchen, not in the corner, not facing the wall, right? But like maybe right by the sink while I'm cooking where I want you to think it over here and I'm right here. So whenever you're ready, there's no time limit set. There's none of that, but it's a place where they can go to think about their, what happened or, cause sometimes they might go, I'm really like, this happens daily at our house. I have a child who he is very mean sometimes. And as soon as we say, I need you to think that over and take a minute within seconds, sometimes he's like, I'm sorry, I'm not mad at you. Blah, 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 blah. And then he spills all the things right at school today someone called me a such and such so i called them a such and such and my teacher yelled at me and didn't care what they said and right and then it all comes out so this is a place where we can help our kids regulate sometimes that might look like a fun tent in the living room where we have a weighted blanket or we have you know some headphones with music that helps calm them or it's just the difference between a think it over place and time out is there's no time frame right when they're ready to get to leave that area, they can. If they're still not calm, we don't send them back to that area. That's our clue that they need our brains and bodies. They now need to come close. Mm -hmm. So that would be like a level one kind of where we're not sure, um, but we think that they can still regulate on their own. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, another tip for maintaining attachment, and this happens to be one of my favorites because it's one of my natural go-tos anyway, and that is to give choices and compromises. How does that look? Yeah, I think choices most of us these days are good with, and we understand why, right? We give age-appropriate choices that give our children voice. All of our children want control right? Like we know that about the kids that we're working with and parenting. And so choices offer an appropriate level of control for that child. Um, and that can look like for a four-year-old, do you want to wear your red shoes or your blue shoes? Um, the conversation I just had with my 15-year-old was, do you want to do completely online school or do you want to try to go to, right? Like that's a really big choice, mm -hmm. but I'm going to give him a voice in that because that's completely age appropriate for him. Mm -hmm. So with that um, in mind, I think choices is good with most people. It's the compromises that make people, I think, believe that TBRI is permissive, mm -hmm. like what we talked about in the beginning, mm -hmm. because we don't say that you need to stick to the two choices. Um, and the reason that we say that is because we believe that this is where kids learn how to negotiate power mm -hmm. and that their voice matters. We believe that if children are going to be in healthy relationships um, as they grow up, 
they need to be modeled and practice those healthy relationships in their parental relationship. Meaning, if I don't want my daughter to be in a relationship when she's in high school where she doesn't have a choice of what they're doing that day or what she can wear, that starts when she's six years old getting dressed for school. That starts with her saying, I don't want to wear this skirt. I want to wear those pants. And me saying, okay, if you ask with respect or right. And working with her because she learns then at six, what I want to wear is my choice. And, and I, I have to do it with respect and I have to ask the right way and it needs to be weather appropriate and all those things. Right. But she learns then. And so compromises feel very tricky. But what I always want to encourage people with is this, you are the boss. You get to say no. What we do not compromise on is the goal. So an example is this. If I'm trying to get three toddlers into Walmart from my van into the store, my goal is to get everyone into Walmart safely, right? I don't want anyone running through the parking lot unattended. I don't want, right? So whether you're in the cart, holding my hand, holding my purse, on my back, right? There's a, there's a million ways for us to get into Walmart safely. I will compromise with them on what that looks like. I absolutely will not compromise on the safety of getting you into Walmart. So if your compromise is that you can run in real quick by yourself, the answer is absolutely not. No, you may not. But you could, if you don't want to hold my hand, hold my purse strap or put your hand in my pocket, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then that, that looks the same. It's just different choices, right? As they get older. Mm -hmm. So don't ever compromise on the goal. What is, what is the goal of this choice that you're offering to your child? How you reach the goal, I encourage you to be flexible with. And that will allow you to continue to keep the train moving with children. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as we say, this is it, these are the only two choices, they see that as an opportunity to gain power, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, they want to fight me on this. And then the fight starts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so be as flexible as possible. Do not compromise on your goal. Mm -hmm. And if a child always, you give two choices and the child always suggests a third, that's not necessarily a bad thing as long as their choice, their compromise is still moving you towards whatever the, your two choices were trying to move your, your family towards. Right. And sometimes, like, first of all, I want to say, like, you have a, a smart kid on your hands. Yes. You have a kid who's not going to be a follower. You have a kid who's not like, so first of all, there are some great things about the, the yeah. kid who's always going to not go with the first two choices. Mm -hmm. That's also really reliable. Mm -hmm. So just give two choices you don't want them to pick, right? Like, <laughs> again, you're the adults, right? Yeah. So do you want to go to bed at, you know, 9.30 or 10.30? Well, I want to go to bed at 8.30. Okay, great. <laughs> right? So, um, like, we get to, we are smart. We can figure this out with our kids. Um, but also as they get older, we can say, here's the goal, right? My goal is that you are not addicted to electronics and you know how to have a civil conversation with a human being in front of you. Tell me how you want to help me with that right now. <laughs> because otherwise your two choices are to get off the phone now or to get off the phone right now, right? Mm -hmm. So here's my goal. Here's what I fear right now. Tell me what you want to do to help me reach that goal. Mm -hmm. And that's a different conversation than I told you 
to give me the phone. Oh, you won't give me the phone. Okay. Now you've lost your phone. Okay. Now I'm turning off the internet. Okay. Now we're right. <laughs> and yeah. we go down this escalating cycle. power struggle. Yep. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. I, I know it well. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things though, that you talk about nipping it in the bud. You didn't use that term, but that would be the yeah. term my mother would have used, which means that high structure and you catch misbehaviors at the early stages. How does that, how does that fit with the pick your battles? Because our kids are, are always doing things that, it, and, and it's exhausting to, to, to catch everything. So is that, uh, is that contrary to the idea of pick your battles or does pick your battles not work with kids who've experienced early life trauma? I think that's a great question. Um, I think that what we would say in TBRI is respect is a battle you have to choose with our kids, but there are other things that, so for my example is um, you can ride your bike in my house. You can ride a scooter. You can ride, I don't own an elephant, a dog, like I don't care because I have floors that you can never destroy. That will, that's, and that, because that's a battle I just couldn't pick anymore. So I'm like, put down tile everywhere, right? Like, so that's what I did. Um, but if your shoes go on my couch, I lose it, right? <laughs> so like, that's a battle I picked. I picked the couch, I didn't pick the floors. Um, and everyone in my house knows that, right? Um, and so I think it's different. Respect is something that I would say we pick. We pick it every time. Um, because when we don't put out disrespect, um, like a spark, it escalates very quickly, especially as our children get older. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to take a moment to remind you that this show is brought to you by the generous support of our partners. And these are agencies that believe in our mission of providing unbiased education and support, both pre and post adoption, fostering and kinship care. Uh, and they believe in it not only just in word, but also they're willing to put their money behind it. And that allows us to provide this show for you. One such partner is Hopscotch Adoptions. They are a Hague accredited international adoption agency, placing children from Armenia, Bulgaria, Croatia, Georgia, Ghana, Guyana, Morocco, Pakistan, Serbia, Ukraine, and they specialize in placing children with Down syndrome and other special needs. They also have a strong kinship adoption program. Now I want to work through some common scenarios that drive parents crazy. Uh, so how about a handling, and I'd like for you to, to uh, say how you would handle this uh, disrespect or not this behavior or misbehavior in a way that maintains connection and also moves you towards retraining and, and correcting. Um, an inability to accept no, no matter what. I mean, we all have to tell our children no at some point. It can't all be yes. So some kids just really struggle when they hear the word no. So how would you handle that? The first thing I would say is um, a core principle of TBRI is being trauma-informed. And so understanding that a no to our children isn't about that piece of candy or that ice cream cone or whatever it might be that you're saying no to, it triggers so much more in them. Um, and so what I would say um, is the way that we say no needs to change for kids who cannot accept no. And what that might look like is, you know, if you're in line at the store and they ask for the Snickers um, and the answer needs to be no, is you pick them up or you get down on their level or you put a hand on their shoulder and say, 
I think a Snickers sounds amazing too. We're not going to buy a Snickers right now, but what can, do you want to run back to the fruits and veggies and pick something if you're hungry? Cause I would love to buy you anything in the fruits and veggies section that you would like, right. Or any of the power bars or, you know, whatever you, yeah. whatever you can say yes to. And then it, if they're little and they're, you know, having a meltdown in the checkout line, that looks like picking them up and saying, I know you need a snack, right? Because what they were communicating is, I need food. Mm-hmm. Even if they just had food, they need more food. Mm-hmm. So um, let's get them some. So that might look like I'm pulling out of my purse a Z bar instead of a Snickers, right? And saying, I'm so sorry about the Snickers bar, buddy. I have a Z bar. They're always going to say no because they want the Snickers, right? right? Yeah. (laughs) Right. But then like, we're going to remain connected. Like I get it. Snickers are way better than protein bars. Mm -hmm. I agree. Mm -hmm. Um, I love you. And I want to give your brain and body what you need and just being present while they have the fit. And then when they get in the car and you guys have walked outside and their brain chemistry has changed and they've helped you push the cart. So their calming neurochemicals have come through and they get in the car and you say, Hey, do you want this bar? They're going to say, yeah, sure. And eat it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's remaining connected in the meltdown. Kids are allowed to not like what you say. They are. They're not allowed to be disrespectful about it, but they can cry in Walmart. Mm-hmm. That's allowed. Mm-hmm. They can say, that's not fair. You're right. Mm-hmm. Don't then follow it up with <laughs> life isn't fair or any of the <laughs> other things, right? But you're right. I'm so sorry but just remain connected, allow them their emotions, and then continue to try to meet their need. Okay. What about another scenario where a child does not respond to your request? You ask them to do something and they refuse or just don't do it. Um, FYI, this is one of my buttons. So <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> I, uh, for people to ignore someone to me is the ultimate disrespect. Yep. Uh, right there with you. So uh, this is a hard one, at least for me. What I have decided to do in my home is to immediately go to the child because what I was doing was like just getting louder and louder. Like maybe you didn't hear me. Maybe I need to say this differently. <laughs> like, yeah. um, so now I immediately go to the child, get at or below their level and say, I'm pretty sure you heard me. Did you hear me? Um, when I'm right there, for kids who ignore, just so you know, those are kids who don't go to fight, right? They usually go to freeze or flee, right? Mm-hmm. So they're trying to get away from the situation. So when we go to them, it doesn't usually escalate them if we ourselves are not escalated. So if I can go to my child and remain calm and say, did you hear me? Usually there's no response. Mm-hmm. And so then I'll say like, well, I'll take that as a yes. Um, I asked you to take the dog for a walk and you walked away and didn't respond to me. When you don't respond, that's disrespectful. I need to know that you've heard me. So I'm going to ask again, right? And I'm going to go to a level two. I'm at a structured response. I'm down at their level. I'm speaking calmly and slowly, and I'm going to offer the redo. I'm going to ask you again, if you will please take the dog for a walk and I need you to respond. Now, if I'm asking them to take the dog for a walk, I'm not telling them she's allowed to say no. And that's part of respect and knowing as parents, if I mean you need to take the dog for a walk, I'm not going to ask her to take the dog for a walk. Mm-hmm. Right. If, if what I'm saying is you will take the dog for a walk, that's what I'm going to say. 
right? It's your day to take the dog for a walk. Depending on their age, I might say, what time are you planning on doing that? To give some voice around it, right? Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not going to compromise on you're taking the dog for a walk. Mm -hmm. But this time in my example, let's say I'd asked her, will you please take the dog for a walk? She walks away. I go, I get on her level. Did you hear me? No response. I'm going to try again and I'd like for you to respond. Will you please take the dog for a walk? Usually what then happens is tears and <laughs> I'm really tired and I don't know, right? And so then I'm getting to what was really, the, the ignoring me wasn't about disrespect. It felt completely disrespectful to me. She was actually on the edge of flipping her lid and losing control. And her way of dealing with that was to remove herself from the situation. Mm -hmm. You've asked me to do everything today. I already loaded the dishes. Mm -hmm. I Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. Another scenario, triangulation. Um, and it could be with the, if you're, if you're partnered, it could be with your partner or it could be with a teacher. It could be uh, with birth family. It could be with their social worker, but triangulation where going to the selecting who you want to ask or saying that the other person has given you permission or playing parents or playing adults off against each other. Yeah, the most important thing for us to remember in this is it's a complete survival strategy. Mm -hmm. And this is a kid who doesn't feel like their voice is being heard. This, in my opinion, is something that we deal with adult to adult. So if this is happening, I already know any child in my home is going to do this if they're offered the opportunity. So I need to talk to my husband or teachers or coaches about this and say, hey, I have a kiddo who this feels safe. Um, anytime they ask you X, Y, or Z, or, you know, so like in our home, my husband and I, what we do is as soon as someone says like, Hey, can I watch a movie? I, my immediate response is what did dad say? His immediate response is what did mom say? Because usually they've already asked the other person and they got to know. And that's why now they've come to me. Right. So that, and they could say like, well, dad isn't home. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, so then I know it really is up to me <laughs> or, um, or I didn't ask dad yet. Okay. Please go ask him and let me know what he says. And then he'll say the same thing. So then we're like, okay, are you okay with them watching Matilda or whatever? Right. And so then we have the conversation with adults, um, but come up with a strategy, just know it's going to happen for us with one of our kids in particular who has a lot of um, wounds with mom, right? Um, with bio mom, we know that anytime him and I have a conflict, he's immediately going to go to my husband and tell a story that is not completely true. That is exaggerated about what occurred. Mm -hmm. And so now that we've talked about that, cause I was getting my feelings hurt a lot of times um, in that. And so now that we've talked about that, my husband's response is always, I am so sorry that you're feeling hurt. Let's get mama in here or let's get mama on the phone and let's talk about this. And then he just is quiet and helps <laughs> to facilitate that conversation. But if we allowed him to always run to Papa, then he doesn't have to work through that wounds that he has. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes very good sense. All right. What about lying? I have always found lying to be one of the hardest behaviors to deal with because there aren't logical consequences that happen immediately. So how do you handle lying? Um, the first thing I would say is as caregivers, we should never put our kids in a scenario where they can lie. So we don't want to say, 
did you do this? Or how did this happen? Or right, if we walk in and there's nail polish spilled on the carpet, did you spill the nail polish? If we know who spilled the nail polish, we say, you spilled the nail polish. How can we fix this? Right. Um, so we don't want to put them because honestly, it's actually a defense mechanism and any kid is going to not want to get in trouble. That's just the bottom line. So we don't have to attach a ton of emotional things to lying as like they're trying to hide things from me. They're going straight to prison. They'll never have a good relationship. They don't know how to write mm -hmm. like it is just a defense mechanism of, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't, it's actually them wanting to keep connection with you, right? Like, I don't want to disappoint her again. I don't want to lose the trust I've built. I don't want to write all those or things. I, I don't want to have to clean up the nail polish or right. I don't want to have to pay for a professional to come in. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want the consequences that are coming with from the, from this action. Right. Which is all natural, right? Like I had, very little, if any, trauma as a child. And I was an expert liar because I didn't want to deal with consequences, right? So um, the first thing I want to say to parents is let go of all of the emotional stuff we have attached to lying because it doesn't mean that our kids are headed down a horrific path. Mm -hmm. It means that they're human and they actually care about relationships or they, they understand consequences, so we could even look at them as like, okay, wow, my kid actually understands now that when there's an action, there's a consequence to that action. So let go of that piece of it. Don't put them in scenarios where their, their natural reaction is going to be to lie. And then lastly, make sure that they feel safe. So if you already know, like, this child doesn't have the money to pay to clean up the nail polish, right? It, the way I'm going to say that is, hey, I... I see that you didn't do your nails in the bathroom, like we've talked about, and you spilled the nail polish on the carpet. And that's a huge bummer because it's going to cost us this much money. And I know you don't have it. How do you think that we can solve this? And so I'm going to come about that problem rather than saying, who spilled this? Did you spill it? What were you doing? Why? Right? Like we're literally leading them down a path of like this huge story that they're going to tell, right? Like, the neighbor came over and then I didn't know she had it. And like, it becomes the dog knocked it over. Or, right, yeah. Right. Um, so all of that to say, we want to approach it in a way where we are partners and that's all of our correcting stuff. When we're talking about doing this with attachment is this is me and you against this problem. This isn't me against you. Right. This is you and me against this problem. We are going to solve this together. And when that is our message, when we're correcting behaviors, then connection and attachment will always be center because what that communicates is our relationship is never right. Our relationship is never on the line. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We are going to figure out together. In fact, this is going to strengthen our relationship because we're going to figure out together how to solve this nail polish on the carpet problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. doing extra chores or whatever to, yeah, and we will pay you. Uh, what we would pay you would be going towards getting the professional cleaner or whatever. Right. And the key in that, especially if there's a consequence that takes a lot of time, is remembering where our kids' brains are at, right? So if in two weeks' time, your kid has no reference to what, depending on their trauma and their brain and that type of thing, 
that's going to be a consequence that is consequencing you, not them. <laughs> so you want to create a consequence that is not just age appropriate, but also that is doable in terms of their understanding and them being able to link this. It might be that they do a chore that day, which is vacuuming the basement, um, because that's easily, okay, I made a mess in the basement. I'm now going to have to vacuum the basement. Mm -hmm. That might be more appropriate at that time until they get older and can understand, you know, depending on their developmental age, not necessarily their chronological age. Could also be, yes, because a child, depending on the age or their, their developmental age, you know, uh, the, the five months it might take to save money to pay for a, uh, or, or the two months even, it's just unrealistic. But it could be that we don't have nail polish for a while too. Yeah. That the temptation of not doing nail polish in the bathroom is really too great right now. So let's, we're going to take nail polish away and then we'll try it again, you know, when you're older. Or something along and what lines. I would say is like when you're trying to come up with consequences like that, um, just remember and like what TBRI would say is when we're working with kids who have experienced trauma, um, we can't try to equal the scales of justice. So if it is, they spilled nail polish. So now we're going to take away nail polish. Um, everything in their life that mattered has been taken away. Mm -hmm. So this true. isn't going to equal to them. Oh, okay. I get it. It's not going to make sense. There's not enough things in the world that we can take away from them to help them to equate those two things. So what I would say is it's more about, it's more of a discussion around how can we solve this together? And you will be surprised. Sometimes they will come up with, why don't you keep my nail polish in your bathroom? And when I want to paint my nails, I have to ask you. Or like they might come up with that. And then it's like, oh, like you're not even the bad, right? Like you're just yeah. helping them solve a problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great idea. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. I love that. I never would have thought of that. Mm -hmm. Let's do that. Um, and let's just do it for a little bit, right? And then I get to be the good guy, right? Mm -hmm. um, they came up with their own consequence. It actually makes sense. And then I'm going to say, let's do it for a few weeks and see how it goes. Mm -hmm. um, that In that instance, they feel like, our relationship is important. She's listening to me. I have a voice. I matter. I made a mistake, but I know how to fix it. Mm -hmm. Right? Because when we're handing out punishments for mistakes, our children leave our home having learned to hide their mistakes and to try to get away from punishment. Mm -hmm. Right? Rather than owning their mistakes and knowing how to fix them. Mm -hmm. And so those are different things. Mm-hmm. You know, as you, as you talk, it, it occurs to me how important it is. We talk about self-care all the time, but parenting kids who have experienced trauma is hard. It's exhausting. It's constant. And, and we as parents must work breaks into our lives. We must do things for ourselves that are building us up and giving us a break and making us feel cared for as well, because this is hard work. Absolutely. You are right. And that's why, I mean, I think you and I both have mentioned during this already, um, this idea that when I'm at my best, yes, mm -hmm. I can do this, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, when I'm at my best, I have all these great stories to tell you. Yeah. When I'm not, I also have stories to tell you. Yes. About. Yeah, I know. Yes. Things that you go, oh, why did I even, you know, why did I go down that road? I mean, wasn't it obvious? <laughs> and Right. Uh, and that's the beauty of attachment, right? Is that when there's a rupture, 
we get to repair it. Mm -hmm. So if there was an incident where you responded wrong and now you're one month into a two year consequence for, you know, (laughs) Um, grounded for life, actually. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Go back to your child and repair that. Apologize. Say I overreacted. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. Here's actually how I think, can I have a redo? Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, that's perfect. And, and do it that way. Um, and then obviously we have to take care of ourselves. We have mm-hmm. to, otherwise we won't even have the foresight to think of those things. No, you can't. No person can. And no, and no parent is perfect. And like you said, we all make mistakes. Yeah. And, and we're, we're, you know, all the things we've talked about can be redone. I love that. Give yourself a redo or ask permission to have a redo. Uh, with your child. Talk about modeling the best. Yeah. Well, and but what you'll find is your kids will offer you one when that, <laughs> the, the, you know, my kids will say like, whoa, do you want to try that again, mama? <laughs> <laughs> and as opposed to being getting irritated at them, think about it and say, yeah, actually I do. Yes, apparently I should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although seldom at that moment, I usually am better at thinking afterwards. And I go, oh man, did I ever blow that? Yeah. And then I go back in and say, I think I owe you an apology. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) yeah. But I'm going to start saying, I think I owe you a redo. Uh, I really like that. Well, thank you so much, Amanda Purvis, for talking with us today about the important, really important topic of practical tips for disciplining while maintaining attachment. Let me remind everybody that the Views expressed in the show are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of creating a family. Our partners are our underwriters. Also, keep in mind that the information given in this interview is general advice. To understand how it applies to your specific situation, you need to work with your adoption or foster care professional. Hey, I have a favor to ask. Please pop over to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcast app you are using and give us a rating. Ratings are how people find us. It is how we get increased listenership. That is really important to us and our mission. And uh, we would really appreciate it. It doesn't take very long and the appreciation is huge. Thank you. I will see you guys next week.